And so giving throughout Scripture really becomes a grace. This is one of the things I want you to get from this morning. It really becomes a grace. It becomes a way that we demonstrate that money isn't or hasn't become the ultimate thing in our lives. That if I can truly give it away, it has no hold on me. It's a way that we as Christians say, this is not my treasure. Something else is. Jesus. And what I want us to see this morning is how the churches in Macedonia specifically have made Jesus their real treasure. And how their giving reflects this. And then I want us to consider how we might be able to do the same. Because here's the point. Real gospel-driven generosity isn't measured by how much you give. I want to make that clear. Let's get that out there. I'm not guilting you into giving more to the church. Real gospel-driven generosity is never measured by how much you give. Rather, generosity is measured by the why. Why you give. Why you give. And as Christians, we give because we have already been given so much in Jesus. To that end, on your sheet, I want us to look at generosity, how generosity is seen through the Macedonian churches. I want to look at how generosity is experienced. And then finally, generosity, how generosity is considered. So let's look at that first one. Generosity is seen. What are the churches of Macedonia doing here, right? Why is Paul talking about them and why is he mentioning them to the Corinthians? Well, first we read that the, that the Christians there are giving, as, as the text says there, according to their means or according to their power. It's that Greek word kata dynamin, which is where we get the word for dynamite, power, according to their power, according to their ability. That is, they have taken inventory of what they have what their resources are, and they have given what they are able to give, what they have the power to give, if you will. Now, what does, this, what does it mean to say that they are giving according to their means? Because I think this is a really important part not to, not to miss. It means that they are giving according to what they truly have. And see, this, to me, is always the first step in giving, but I think it is the hardest step in giving and certainly being generous. One... We are a culture, and everybody in here knows this, that doesn't live within our means. Whether, or the, therefore, we don't know how to give within our means. And I, this is generality here. Let's relax. I'm buttoning our shirt here a little bit. Whatever we need to do. Y'all, y'all hear what I'm saying? This is, we are a culture that doesn't live within our means, and that makes sense that we don't know what it means to give within our means. That, that, that's, that's the point here. That is, we live not within what our actual take-home pay is, for example. We live with what our possible future take-home pay could be, oftentimes bolstered by credit cards. One recent study showed that as 2014, as, as, as late as, an average of 40% of Americans carried some type of revolving credit card debt. Uh, that statistic seemed a little low to me. But that means 40% of people living not within their means, but within some sort of future, really unrealistic means. Right? And when that begins to happen, you know, we feel the pinch, right? We're not really sure what we have. And this makes it so difficult for us to give. And therefore, it strips us of our power to really begin to give according to what God has already given us. 
This is one of the reasons why giving in the church today has plummeted. And it's so difficult. This is why in 2011, a research poll by Empty Tomb found that the average professing Christian in America gave 2.3% of their income away. It's the average professing Christian, 2.3%. In the same poll, 33 to 50% of churchgoers give nothing to their local church. And I can say this knowing that these statistics hold up within my own denomination. In a more recent poll by the Barna Group, their research targeted towards professing Christians in America found that 50% of the U.S. gives between 0 and 2% of their income away. 15% give between 2 and 10%. And then 5% give 10% or more. I wonder how those statistics would begin to change if Christians began living strictly within their means. Just so they couldn't even know what it means to give within their means. That they wouldn't be stripped of that power, so to speak, that Paul is demonstrating here that the Macedonians are doing. But this is the first thing we see. We see the Macedonians are giving within their means. They are simply giving what they have in their power to give. Second, though, we see that the churches not, are not just giving according to their means. They actually give beyond their means. And this is what really begins to scare me, and maybe this really begins to scare you. All right, there, there in, in verse 3b. Paul, first of all, I want to get this straight, isn't just sort of saying that the Macedonians were giving so much that they too uh, found themselves in poverty and just in need. You know, that would sort of defeat the purpose of giving in the first place. If we were giving to satisfy one need and at the same time creating another. That's not what the Macedonian churches are doing. What they are doing, what they are showing us more particularly is that they have found a way to give on top of, on top of what was expected. Now, look, I have no idea what that comes to in American dollars. I wish I could sit here and tell you that so that you have some kind of number that you need to go home and give and then we'll all kind of feel good about this. It's not the point, right? It's not the point. They found a way to give on top of what was expected. And it's as if, as Paul is talking about this, it's as if they tapped into this undercurrent of joy that comes with giving once they started giving within their means. This is how giving small or what's in your power to give actually, in a strange way, begets more giving. When you're able to give a little, you realize you can give so much more. And here's the weird thing. You actually like it. I don't understand how this happens, but it does. I don't believe it. But I keep, it, keeps, it keeps proving me wrong. Maybe you've experienced that as well. It does. It seems like the opposite would be true, that the more I hold on to things, the more that I have, but it's not. From a spiritual standpoint, though, there's something about giving that taps into who it is that we were created to be. And this is where I really want to labor for this first point. There's something about giving that brings joy into our lives. And one of the reasons this is true is because being someone who gives is exactly who you were created to be. We were all created in the image of God. Everyone in here hopefully knows that or believes that. What is the image of God than a life-giving, self-giving image? It is in your spiritual DNA, friends. It's the Trinity that gives itself away to love, is it not? That that gives itself away in submission to each other. It's the Trinity that gives itself away to its creation. And it's ultimately the Trinity that gives itself away at the cross, carried out, of course, by Jesus as God's image. 
That's who he is. And as people created in his image, when we give, we actually begin to tap into that undercurrent of joy that tells us this is who I was created to be. There's a part of me that was lost that I'm now discovering this is who I was created to be, which raises the question, why? Why is it so hard to give? Why are those church statistics that I just read so terrible? Why do I know in my own heart that I don't give nearly as much as I can? One of the effects of the fall is that fear now enters into our lives where love once did. And that fear created by distrust towards God begins to control us. But all we want to do is find a way, is find a way to satisfy that fear. And fear that, fear that comes with, with horrible insecurity of, of who, who am I? Right, we see this played out in the garden with Adam and Eve as soon as the fruit was taken. Who am I? Who will love me? Who can I trust? How will I know that I'll have enough? Who will take care of me? So on and so forth. And so our hearts grab hold of things in an effort to answer those questions to relieve that fear. The Bible calls these things idols. Our heart will grab on the relationships. It will grab on to things that give us power because we feel like we're in control. It will grab on to sex. It will grab on to anything to soothe those fears and money. Oh, well, that's just a neat, that's a no-brainer. What more will bring us security and status and identity than that? And the problem is, and you know this, none of this works. None of this works. None of this satisfies our fears. In fact, looking to things like money or anything else to ease these fears, to tell us who we are, to tell us that we'll be okay, to tell us that we're somebody, all that does is actually make the problem worse. It's looking for stability in a naturally unstable object. It's crazy. That's why there are these two types of people in the world that exist that we don't understand at all, that we've got to remember and, and think about. And here are those two, two groups of people. There are those that have money, more money than they'll ever know what to do with, who are extremely, extremely depressed, extremely lonely, extremely unhappy. Maybe you're one of those people. Maybe you know one of those persons. Right? That's the first group. We have, to, we have to recognize that group of people exists, and we've got to deal with them. That there are people in this world, and you hear about these stories every single day, of people who have more money than they know what to do with, but their lives are miserable. The other group of people, like the Macedonians, and the ones that really scare us, are those who have nothing. Did you notice they're begging to be a part of the apostles' effort and giving more? They have nothing, but their lives are full of joy. In, in many ways, they're the happiest people in this world. Maybe that's you. Maybe you know someone like that. But these two people exist. We have to deal with the fact that they do, that the things of this world that we go to in order to fill ourselves, like money, doesn't work. No matter how hard we might try. Because if we're going to become people who give and give beyond, who experience who it was that we were created to be, the joy that comes out of that, we are going to have to begin talking about what scares us to death about people like this who give everything away and love it. 
we are going to have to start talking about what we're really afraid of and how we go to things like our money and not God to try and fix ourselves. If we are ever going to find the joy and maybe more important, the the freedom that the gospel offers us in Christ. And this is the first point. This is generosity seen, people giving according to and beyond their means. And you might be asking yourself, look, how can this be? How can they be giving this much? How can they be giving it all? Paul says they don't have anything. It's because they have so much already. It's because they have so much already. And this gets to the second point. Not only is generosity seen in the churches of Macedonia, generosity is experienced. It has been received as well. And perhaps your question is, oh, I got it. Did did, did the churches in Macedonia, the the, the church at Philippi and Thessalonica, did they receive some kind of grant from, from Rome? Did they get some money? So now they have something to give. And the answer, of course, is no, they didn't. Certainly the churches in this region were, were given financial gifts from the apostles, from the ministry in order to start this church. But you've got to understand, first of all, when these churches started, this was a difficult and, and it, was just, it was a hard church plant. The opposition to these churches in, in, in the Macedonia region, people died trying to get these churches started. No great opposition. And so you might even ask, well, why did they do that? Why did they start the church with such great opposition? And I would say that the reason they started the church is the same reason they gave generously. Because they knew and they believed that they had received infinitely more from Jesus than they ever deserved in the first place. And therefore, they had so much desire to give out of that gratitude for what Jesus had done for them already. That's why churches start. All right? That's why churches start. In other words, they had received grace. They had, they had experienced it. They had tasted it. It was real to them. And when grace comes to town, it affects, its effects are evident in the lives it touches. As one commentator puts it, God is generous. And where grace is truly experienced in people's lives, the evidence will be similar love and generosity. I love that statement, but I don't love that statement. So what is causing the churches in Macedonia to give this way is they too have been recipients of generosity. Paul writes to them. If we remember in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, he says this. This may sound familiar to you, but I want you to hear it in this context. I want you to hear it in the midst of extreme opposition as, as the church is starting in Philippi. Uh, and, and especially starting with nothing. Have this mind among yourselves, that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the churches in Macedonia began to read this and they began to think about it. And they began to to wonder, what what does this mean? And then they began to actually believe it. And one of the things that, that they conclude is that if this is true, if what Paul is writing about Jesus is true, then we have infinitely more in Christ than we could ever possibly give away. To the point where it shaped their lives and revealed itself in their generosity. 
See, in Jesus, they had rediscovered, if you will, what was lost that day in the garden, what was swallowed up by fear. And what the cross of Christ does for us, it is a grace that when it is received, it allows fear to give way to love. The kind of love that you experience, that Adam and Eve experienced perfectly before the fall. I experienced this per- personally a few months ago, and I asked Ada if I could share this story. Look, I am no stranger to the fear that can direct your life, uh, especially when it comes to giving your money or my money away. And I want you to know that as your pastor, this is not something that I have mastered. I don't ever plan to have mastered it. I need you in my life to convince me and to remind me that it is good to give. And so on that note, I'm going to share this story with you. As many of you know, I have four daughters. And, and how that registers to a parent, especially a male parent, is I have potentially four college educations to prepare for, right? Probably worse, I have four weddings to save. And four, that's four dresses, four dresses. Um, not to mention, we got to try to feed these kids and get them along. I mean, I, to me, and I may sound a little full more despair than you'd like this morning, but look, there's no getting ahead at this stage of life, right? It, that is a that is a lie from the pit of hell. Like my life, I take the theology of the NCAA basketball tournament, right? Survive and advance. Survive and advance. That is the motto at this point in time, as far as I'm concerned. That's a little bit about my heart. That's a little bit about me. So several months ago then, you'll, this will hopefully make more, more sense. As I'm sort of looking at our bank account, I notice an auto draft that has been set up to give monthly to the church. Something we wanted to do, I've been talking about doing, obviously moved to a new place and there's some things we got to figure out. But I wasn't aware of this. And at first I thought, well, did Steve Fultz hack into my computer? What is going on here? What is happening? Um, so I call, I call, <laughs> sorry, Steve. I call Ada and I, um, you know, I'm trying to be transparent here about how this really affected me. And I said, look, uh, <clears throat> did you, uh, did you set up something to the church? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Okay. 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 And then I immediately was like, oh, we can't do this right now. Like we don't, we don't have it. It is not going to work. I want, we want to be able to do this. We want, we want to get there. We're not there yet. We're still trying to figure out this place, trying to figure out our job. I mean, just tr- fear y'all. That's all it was. Just here's excuses. Here's where we are. Here's where we are. And I remember saying to her, look, Ada, I'm looking at the screen right now. We don't have it. It's not there. We're not going to be able to do this. And I love my wife. I didn't love her at this moment here when she, <laughs> when she says, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it. She says, yeah, we, we can do this. We'll just have to stop eating out as much as we do. What? <laughs> what? So that's how your pastor uh, gets dealt the gospel um, on a daily basis there. Um, Look, in hindsight, I'm so glad she did that because what she was doing for me at that moment, unknowingly, of course, was creating a way for fear to give way to love. For fear to give way to love. For fear to give way to freedom. Right? And in that moment, the gospel became real to me, came real to me through giving. It is so strange. But this is the real tragedy of where the Corinthians potentially find themselves. Are they becoming a people defined by being controlled by love? Or are they becoming a people where fear compels them? Because 
there wasn't a more honest indicator of where I was on that spectrum than when I saw what my wife had done with our money. And in that moment, I needed to see and experience all over again what my treasure really was. It's Jesus. But I need to see and experience that all over again. That's what giving does for us. That's why giving is a grace and it is a mercy of God. The fact that he condescends to us and actually cares to take our dollar bills so that it goes to the furthering of his kingdom. Uh, That is remarkable, to say the least. What we see in the Macedonians is that they weren't living out of what they might have someday. They were living out of what they already had already received. A treasure worth infinitely more than anything their hearts could desire. And it's not that the Corinthians hadn't received this too. I know some hadn't. But more than not, they just needed to be reminded of this. They needed someone to come in and create a way for fear to give way to love, just as they had done for so many before. And thankfully, just as my wife had done for me. And so the sober question we must ask ourselves this morning as we conclude this second point is what is compelling us as a church? What is compelling us as individual members of that church? Is it fear or is it love? And are we willing to take a look at our money in order to help us answer that question? This is hard. Remember, Paul picks the topics. Thank you. But this is not easy, which is why I'm wanting to show you how I struggle with this, too, and why I need you in the midst of that to help show me ways that the gospel is true. And see, here's the deal, and I would, I would be selling you short as your pastor if I didn't say this. If we don't ask these questions about our money, the real tragedy is that Christianity won't really mean anything to you. That's the real tragedy. And we'll come in here on Sundays, right? And we'll talk about all these wonderful things up here. All these pretty nice packaged theological thoughts. And if it just stays up here and it never comes down here where our lives are lived out, then the gospel will never make sense to you. The gospel will burn brighter in your hearts and in your lives. It'll just become this thing. When Jesus comes into our lives, he doesn't ask for a part of it. He asks for everything. And certainly our finances are part of that, but they are also and often an indicator of how well we are doing and giving over everything and living out of what it is that we have already received in Jesus. This is generosity received. Finally, generosity is considered. When fear gives way to love, and this is the third point, When love is what controls us, giving doesn't become a burden. It doesn't become something that we feel guilted into doing or that we feel is an obligation for us in order to make God happy. Rather, it becomes a joy because it no longer is your master. One of the things I find most interesting about this text, if you go back and reread it this week, is that Paul never tells the Corinthians to give. He never guilts them. He never commands them. He doesn't even throw his apostle weight around, which is would make the most sense. And we see that very clearly right there in verse 8. Look at it. Paul says, I say this not as a command. He doesn't have to guilt them 
to do this, what he does is show them something more beautiful than their money. And he says, look, look at this. I love telling the story of going to this concert, going to see Steve Vai. This is back right after I graduated college. I had a friend who loved Steve Vai. And uh, if you're like me at this point in time, you're probably wondering, who is Steve Vai? I didn't know who he was. I I didn't own an album, didn't know a song, didn't know anything about him. And so I said to my friend, who's Steve Vai? And he says, oh, he's the best guitar player in the world. Probably ever. You know, bold statement. Sure, okay. But that's all he said. And we get to, we get to the concert. We get there. And uh, he starts playing. And he plays this song called Whispering a Prayer. And the song ends. And I looked at my friend. And we just also, we've got these like things. They're called tears that are just running down our faces. What is this? What is going on? What, what is happening to me? Right? What had happened that night is that my friend... Never had to sell me on this guy. Never had to sell me on whether or not he was the best guitar player in the world. All he had to do was put me in front of him and say, look, look. Or in this case, see, listen, right? Paul does the exact same thing here for the Corinthians. He doesn't just you know, try to come up with all of these reasons why giving is good, right? He does the same thing for them. He does the same thing for us. He says, look at Jesus. He gives them something more beautiful to look at and to see than their money. And he gives it for us right there in verse 9. Please read this with me or, or look at this with me as I read it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. In Jesus, we not only see generosity of someone giving up their position of authority, of someone giving up their status, of someone giving up their wealth. Right, but we experience, right, we, are, we are the recipients of this. We are the objects of his love so that you by his poverty might become rich. Did you catch that? You're the reason he gave everything up. And this is why the Macedonians are begging, begging to give more. Because they actually are experiencing the joy in it. Because true generosity, y'all, does not come at some point in life when we have more to give. It never will. True generosity flows out of a heart that knows how much they have already in Jesus. And what the gospel does is it comes into our lives and it reverses what we value. It reverses what we treasure. It replaces this fear that, that, that has been just deformed God's creation and replaces it with love. It replaces idols with truth. It replaces those things with Jesus. That he becomes our treasure so that the generosity that we find in Jesus begins to be reflected in the way that we live and certainly in the way that we give. Tim Keller on this passage writes, Jesus gave up all his treasure in heaven in order to make you his treasure. When you see him dying to make you his treasure, that will make him yours. I have so much more to say about this, but I'm trying so hard to be good on time. I'm going to end it there. Friends, actually, I'll end it here with a story. This this week, I came across a story where a family in France uh, found, found this painting in their attic. It, it happened to be a, a, an original Caravaggio, is what I learned how you say this. And it's worth $137 million, right? Um, they had a leak in the roof. In order to get to this part of the roof, they had to actually kind of go through this wall in the attic they'd never been to before. And behind that wall, of course, was this 
painting. Of course, everybody right now is thinking about their floor plan. Have I gone there yet? When we think about what it means for Jesus to make us his treasure, and that in that way that he becomes ours, I want to ask you this question. What if this were you? What if you went home this morning and this were you, that you were the now the new owners of a $137 million painting? Do you think that this would make you a more generous person? And I would really push to ask you why. Why? Does just having more to give away make us generous? And look, don't get me wrong. I, I could do a lot with $137 million, I think I could, can, right? That would be nice. But I have to ask myself, what is $137 million compared to having Jesus? And that all depends, Ryan, right? It depends on what? It depends on what my treasure truly is, doesn't it? When you see him dying to make you his treasure, he becomes yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your gospel, for your word to us through Paul and this second letter and how we come into what true generosity is. Would we be a people to find more by what we already have in you and not the things of this world? Would you make us people who are generous with our stuff? Would you help us to be people who are becoming people that are controlled and guided by love and not by fear? And would you do that by showing us Jesus, the only thing more beautiful and believable than anything our heart, our hearts could desire? We ask this in your son's name. Amen.